Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Episode 6, for August the 10th, 2017. Our sponsor for This Week in Voice is Voice XP, blazing the trail in voice technology. Voice XP is taking the lead in developing Alexa skills for the best brands in the world. With Voice XP, all you have to do is say it to revolutionize your marketing strategy. We're very pleased to be joined today by three awesome guests. Our first is Lisa Fox. And Lisa, say hello. Hi, everyone. Good to be back. Lisa Foxen is an experienced designer of speech-enabled multimodal applications on various platforms. She is also a member of the Board of Directors of Stanford Professional Women. Lisa, thank you very much for the time today. Our next guest is John Myers. John, say hello. Hi. Hello, everyone. Jonathan Myers is CEO and co-founder of EarPlay. EarPlay has created a new storytelling medium with voice UI UX, which harnesses the power of interactive conversation to connect audiences with characters they love. John, thank you very much. Cool. Happy to be here. Ahmed, welcome back. Thank you, sir. I'm glad to be back. So Ahmed is CEO of Witlingo, and the Witlingo team is conducting a workshop coming up on August 16th titled Learn How to Design an Alexa Skill on Voice User Interface Design. People in the D.C. area can learn more by looking at thisweekinvoice.com. We'll have the link posted uh, for the meetup so you can learn about that. And then also the D.C. chapter of the Ubiquitous Voice Society is running a meetup on September 16th as well on Voice First and Social Isolation. We will post that link on This Week in Voice, too. Abed, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, the call-out. No problem. So with that, we will get to the news. This is a big week. This is a uh, very interesting week as controversy erupted this week as Uh, The Google Engineer Manifesto, as it will probably always be referred to, leaked, and uh, now it's turned into this whole political deal uh, with conservatives saying, you know, how dare you fire this guy for free speech, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, Very, very interesting. And Lisa, I'm going to start with you on this uh, for the first aspect of this that I'd like to cover. Does any aspect of this episode from the guy taking all the time to write that 10-page manifesto or however long it is to uh, it it, uh, propagating all over Google to it leaking to the uh, uh, reaction from the public to the termination, does any of it affect Google's voice technology aspirations at all? So, you know, honestly... I've been, you know, I have an engineering degree, uh, actually two degrees, one from Stanford, one from UCLA, and I've sort of been subjected to this type of attitude since um, I was about 18 years old and really interested in, in math and physics, and I don't think that it's a surprise to anyone that there are folks that feel this way. I think what has happened is that... Um, you know, Google has has gotten some press about issues with pay equality before, and that sort of brought these gender issues to the forefront for them. And um, maybe you know people sort of resent when um, there there seems to be an attempt to favor a, a minority. Um, if they're part of the major- majority, which this this gentleman is, and I think what's what's important to point out is that 
you know, this is, no one is saying, no one has ever said that we should go on, um, you know, out on a, uh, on some kind of crazy hiring spree and just willy nilly pick up women and minorities that are underqualified for the jobs. What we're saying is that it is actually harder to find these candidates and that, um, you should put a little bit of effort in that. And then there's a lot of data that shows that more diversity in the workplace actually improves the product. Mm -hmm. Um, there's data that shows that having women, for example, in your, um, on a board of directors makes a company more successful. There's, there's enough, um, you know, real hard data to show that your company is actually better off with more diversity than it is if it's being dominated, um, you know, by white males. Yeah, yeah no, I completely agree uh, with everything Lisa was saying. I think that, that, you know, it takes concerted effort to kind of fight against, uh, you know, the, the sort of biases that are out there. Um, and I think all this shows, um, and I'm in some ways it's, it's you know, I don't want, I, in some ways it's good that the discussion is happening. It's crappy that it happened this way. But, um, it, you know, it's important to kind of bring the stuff out into the light, talk about it, and point out that it's like opinions like that are, are wrong. <laughs> you know that, that we're in the manifesto. Like that. That's you know. And and um, in some ways, uh, you know, I think the entire notion that that is as a, like an internal memo is protected by free speech is kind of silly. Um, the entire notion of what free speech is it's about the public sphere. He didn't write a blog post. He wrote an internal internal memo that was meant to. Um, uh, to share opinions within the company, and that's that's a very different story. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with both uh, uh, Lisa and John. Uh, I'll just add that I think it goes to show you um, how disconnected from uh, the humanities and the social sciences uh, the IT Silicon Valley is, and the engineers, because I mean, if you read, uh, if you oh, read, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, if, you, if you if you read that screed, uh, it's uh, there's a lot of hubris, a lot of bad thinking, a lot of ignorance. Clearly, the guy has not lived read literature in the social sciences and, and basic philosophy. I mean, let me just quote you from uh, John Stuart Mill, who wrote an essay called On the Subjugation of Women in 1869, that's 150 years ago, in the quote. Quote, start. The legal subordination of one sex to the other is wrong itself. And now, one of the chief hindrances of human improvement and ought to be replaced by a principle of perfect equality admitting no power or privilege on the one side nor his ability on the other this is in 1869 all right so if this guy this guy the engineer who's smarter than everybody else this white man who's speaking uh, on issues he doesn't know about if you were to go and do some research and find out that actually there has been a lot of thinking the debate has been going on for a long time there's a consensus and there's research that has been done that shows conclusively that the black man and the white man are equal. The woman and the man are equal in terms of what they can do. Moving on to story number two this week. In a little bit more positive Google news, Google has rolled out a program where users can preview new features before they're rolled out to everyone. This is cool. I wish you know, wishes were true uh, across the board. John, what do you think uh, of Google's new program? Uh, it's always what Google sets Google out uh, apart from you know, others is that they like to beta test. They like to just get stuff out and enable other people to use it as soon as it's, you know, past an alpha kind of a stage, right? So, I mean, that I've always been a huge sort of Google fanboy. I had one of the um, 
the earliest Chromebooks, like the CR48, I think it was. And, um, you know, so to me, it's exciting because I get to try stuff. I think from the developer point of view, it makes things a little more difficult, um, which is which is part of what means to you know develop software for a you know, new Google platform is to kind of have to be able to uh, deal with users who are uh, accessing things a little earlier than others. So so there's that that perspective. But I, I think that's you know essentially how things worked out when it was Android and iPhone, right? Um, is is that you know the iPhone was a, a platform where when they rolled things out, it was at a, a later tested state. Android was always sort of you know allowing people into betas, allowing developers to have access early, early access to features, that sort of thing. So uh, it, it it kind of follows along with the Google pattern. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with John, um, especially as I think especially with voice because uh, it's, it's such a it's such a tricky medium and mm -hmm. and, the, and the level of experience that we have collectively still in its very early stages that we we really need to get things out and test them and learn we're learning quite a bit as we go and uh, and getting something to sort of um, gradually out to GA um, is I think is a smart thing to do so I'm, I, I, I like this a lot um, I liked it when Alexa um, launched its beta where you can invite people through a simple link right uh, before that there was a rigmarole you had to put people through to be able to test the skill before you launch it mm -hmm. Um, um, now uh, we're able to. We at Whitlingo we serve um, enterprises, so they they like to kick things around. Uh, it helps us also in pitching when we pitch to to somebody who want to demo them a skill uh, that is branded theirs, and it helps us quite a bit. So I think um, you know uh, this is definitely definitely very useful. Yeah, I agree. And the you know nice thing about this is it's sort of like this um, willing beta group. It's like a group of very motivated people who would like to see these features um, early. And I think that, that that that's your best audience, right? So if you find issues um, with what you're launching with your best, most willing, most um, interested participants, then you that really means there are issues um, and that they should be addressed right away. So I think it's a really good way of kind of Hitting stuff early with with your most you know, dedicated uh, fanboy fangirl um, type folks. Our third story this week is about a company called Bionic Labs, which has produced a full blown exoskeleton that is controlled by Alexa. This is really kind of wild. And Lisa, since you have a lot of experience with robotics, I'll start yes. with you. Uh, what do you think? So I think um, anytime you start doing anything that's medical or, or physical, there's a lot more um, opportunity for error and error to be um, catastrophic. So when I say that, that doesn't mean that... Um, you know, you need to not do it. So I'll give an example of when you should not do it. So for example, I worked, um, or, or saw a demonstration from a company many years ago when I was in graduate school, um, about a company that was using, um, speech for surgery and they would have a robotic arm that was in there doing surgery and it was, um, controlled via speech. Now, uh, the first thing I thought was just like, this is ridiculous and you're going to have cutting, you know, what if you have a misrecognition? It's a nightmare. Then I found out that, no, there was nothing crucial that was being performed by the um, robotic arm 
that, that had anything to do with, you know, slicing or any of that. It was actually controlling the camera. And even when it controlled the camera, any time it heard any speech energy at all, it would pause before it made sure that it understood and make sure that it heard the command correctly before it would move. So there was no chance of moving the camera in any direction where it would tear tissue or, um, you know, go the wrong way. So what you have to do is when you're looking at these types of situations where there's a physical response that happens based on the voice command and that can have to um, have some catastrophic results, then you just have to be more careful about, you know, making sure that you're right, <laughs> making sure your commands are correct and confirming them. So it's, it's a little bit of like a dialogue um, challenge, I would say, more even than a technical challenge because the recognition is going to work. It's just going to work how it works. But it's really dialogue-wise, how do you handle it? And then the integration problem between the Alexa device and um, the exoskeleton. Like I know, for example, they were saying you have to be near an Alexa device because it's not integrated in any way with the skeleton itself. So, you know, then what if you move out of range and things like that? So I think there's just a lot more considerations you have to uh, take into so, so many things into account when you're designing this way. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. And it's, it's interesting that voice is being put inside just about everything we can think of. Um, I feel like it's moving along a little faster than what, uh, you know, than what it's capable of, because I feel like in front of this, we need to have voice differentiation and a little bit more privacy. Um, because all I think about when I said, read that article was like, oh, what if someone just walked up and started trying to control that suit besides the wearer, right? Like um, the, how mm. confusing that would be. Or, you know, we always talk about, oh, it's so funny when we're talking and Alexa hears us, you know, it's, it's cute and we turn off the mic and, and you know, or maybe the, the, the uh, TV triggers something. Well, I, I look at that suit and I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I think that, that uh, I'm fascinated. And I don't think that the people who are creating that are thinking or worrying about that. They're not going to go out and commercialize this until it's there. But w what I'm getting at is that the, the voice differentiation, voice ID type technology needs to come along before things like that are possible, before, you know, personal count, like um, calendars inside an office kind of work well, you know, enterprise sort of things. So anyway, the, I, I just happen to think about that. And, you know, that, that's where my mind went. And it kind of kind of ties into what you're saying as well, Lisa, in the, in the sense that we need to design scenarios so that only the wearer, for example, would have control. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's, you know, authentication. It's identification yes. and verification, right? So I know who you are, and I agree that it, you, you are definitely you. So I've identified you as yourself, and you um, have done some additional verification step to, to tell me that you're authorized to do this this action. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, I definitely agree both the uh, the fact that uh, this the, t the tolerance for error in situations where the consequence of an error is a lot more than simply annoyance. Uh, I think makes um, makes it uh, in the imperative to ensure that the error rate is very very low. Um, and it's always like that. It's the last 0.1% is the hardest of the last 10% of anything is the hardest thing where it requires as much work as the first 190%. So I think there's a long way to go to get to a point where you can do these things safely. I think there's definitely a set of use cases where the error is not going to be um, catastrophic, maybe controlling something, um, but then if it makes an error, I don't know, or perhaps uh, you know, some kind of um, a robot that does um, taking from A to B, stuff from A to B, and if it doesn't do it right, it's okay. 
Um, and then there's the voice idea, obviously, I think, for sure. I think like John was saying, uh, can't be where anyone can control it, right? Um, and then the last thing is, this thing is sort of the, the, the voice is disembodied from the, uh, from the device. I think they probably the next step is to use the Alexa voice service to embed the you know, voice within the device itself. Um, but I think the, the promise is there. And I think it's great that these people are, uh, these folks are, are um, tinkering and playing with this and probably more than playing with it, actually uh, trying to solve real problems. And I think the, the exciting things in anything like the whether it goes somewhere, uh, somewhere real or not, whether it becomes a product or not, is the set of problems they will tackle, surface, and try to solve. And, and that's what innovation is all about, is about finding problems, solving, solving those problems um, you know, in some innovative way. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it really underscores a big theme of voice technology, which is accessibility. You know, voice technology yep. uh, is opening doors mm -hmm. uh, in so many ways, and this is just another one, really, when you get down to it. Um, so it's exciting. Absolutely. And I, I just to add something on the accessibility standpoint, you know, there are whole um, teams, both within Google and Amazon, that just deal with accessibility, you know, down to the point where... Um, on the much um, <laughs> sadly canceled, um, failed Fire Phone, you know you had uh, haptic feedback. Um, you also have that in the Amazon Shopping app. So it's not just for speech, but it's across the board. A lot of people, I think, are looking at accessibility. Um, but speech, to me, is kind of the... Um, you know, is at the forefront of like this is this is one of the best things and easiest things that we can do. There's um, videos that show people um, who are blind that are uh, you know do, doing their shopping on Amazon Echo. It's it's one of like the easiest things that we can just have this modality um, that the primary modality be voice and immediately it opens things up to this whole group of people. Um, that couldn't do certain things before. I just, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty amazing step. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, it, even actually that not in just, um, handicap, but also apparently children with, um, certain types of learning disabilities and autism, um, relate very well to speech systems and have really improved, um, both their vocabulary and their just way of, um, speaking or relating to people even through use of Siri, Alexa, OK Google. And I just, I think that's, that's amazing. And I think the category of, of, uh, of people who have accessibility issues is not a, I think it's not a static one, meaning you and I and anybody on this uh, who's listening could become incapacitated by breaking their uh, bone <laughs> and all of a sudden they can't move and uh, they have to rely on voice. Um, so I think, uh, I think uh, accessibility is, uh, is a huge thing um, that is probably not spoken, um, and I'm glad you raised it. It's not spoken as as, as, as much as uh, as, uh, as we should when it comes to voice. Uh, it's just, and then it opens up so uh, openness of the technology. So many people who are either permanently incapacitated or temporarily incapacitated. Uh, yeah, and and one of the things yeah. that's so great is sort of accessibility related, but um, just the um, ease. Of, of learning, and I think this is something, this is kind of a general statement across speech, is that, you know, people need to be taught how to use a um, iPhone. Usually they have to play with it a while. They kind of learn how to use that tiny keyboard with your, your fingers, and my mom can never get a hang of it, really. Um, 
but you don't need to be taught how to speak. We all know how to speak. Um, children speak before they type, before they read. And I just think that, that that's, you know, what's so special about this and um, makes it so accessible. That's why, you know, there have been a lot of things about children using the Echo because it's, um, it's accessible to, to people who, who don't know how to read or write. There's even just a population of people who can't read or write. And, and this um, enables them to, to do certain tasks. So I think that's great. You know, most people consider accessibility a great thing. So I look forward to uh, that former employee at Google uh, writing a manifesto about how he doesn't like it. <laughs> yes, accessibility <laughs> is bad. I had to throw that, that in there. <laughs> Moving on to story number four, uh, this one from the Wall Street Journal, fascinating article here and a very well circulated one too. The end of typing, the next billion mobile users will rely on voice and video. Really, uh, really sort of uh, interesting piece. Ahmed, uh, what did you take away? Yeah, so uh, as as I was saying um, just now, Obviously, voice is the most natural interface. It's, I think it's the only interface uh, ever um, that was not invented. So we didn't invent, meaning engineers didn't go and put together a thing that's artificial that we have to learn. Uh, it's an interface that has to bend to us. It has to, we need to speak naturally, and the interface uh, needs to take the burden, take care of things, and come back and, and solve things for us, and do it in a way that is usable. So I, I'm, I'm glad that right now we are you know, we are going to go away from having to learn an interface. And, and the progression has been, actually, has been um, for a long time since the Mac came out, right? Like making the interface more and more usable. And I think this is the, the next iteration, the next level. Uh, I think what's happening really, if you, um, there is a, this concept called um, the Gutenberg parenthesis, right? So the Gutenberg parenthesis is, is, the, is the notion that was introduced by a professor from uh, Southern Denmark University. His name is uh, Thomas Pettit, right? Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but it's P-E-T-T-I-T, Cities somewhere. Um, anyway, so he, he his, uh, which is interesting, that, and that is that if you look at the span of humanity's existence, uh, the printing press is a tiny fraction of, um, of our existence in terms of communication. We have communicated orally in, an, in a diffuse, distributed way for... A long time, and only the, li- the last 500 years have been where we had text that was static, that uh, was taken, written, and it was there, and it didn't change, and people would uh, read it, and it would last for generations, right? Um, and so, um, and his thesis is that the parenthesis started when the Gutenberg Press came out, and is now ending 500 years later, where um, if you look at the the way teenagers today interact with each other, they, lose a lot, they use a lot of emojis and their, 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 their verbal transactions are very truncated and, and they, they use videos. So communication is not through uh, written text sentences and so forth, but through these you know, sort of diffuse verbal, audio verbal um, uh, interactions. Um, and so it's interesting that now voice is coming in and it's just, uh, I think it, it's adding to that uh, or adding merit to that argument that we're going away from the Gutenberg world uh, where there was text and and there was a source of truth which was one it was um, it was centralized and so forth into something where 
it's a lot more um, a lot more diffuse. Uh, I think it has definitely big pluses opening up the stuff for people who were not uh, who were blocked before because they were not literal literate. Sorry. Um, but now, um, but there is the, oh, there's always a dark side to, every, to everything, right? So we're seeing now the dark side being, you know, what's truth, what is fake news, what is not fake news. We don't have like one newspaper of record that everybody agrees on is the place where facts are facts. And scientists are right now being challenged about uh, global uh, uh, or, the, you know, um, climate change and so forth. So I think there is a dark side to it. If you guys have seen any of the studies about how um, entering... Um, things by by voice are is now three times two point eight to be exact um, times faster than via text just because the accuracy of speech has, has increased so much. So we always knew that it was there's a study um, university study and um, I think by do uh, folks worked on it as well. But we sort of know that talking is faster than typing. But the fact is that. Um, you know, it used to be about the corrections that had to be made um, via speech that would make it slower. Well, now the accuracy is so good that um, typos are actually um, more work um, to correct than speech recognition errors. So, so I, I just think in the name of speed, we sort of um, we use speech. People are patient and they like to get things done quickly. I also think that, um, you know, one thing that... Ahmed said to me, or said just now, it, you know, people using emojis, it's actually kind of hilarious to think that you, we are just in text creating something to give emotion that voice already has. <laughs> so, you know, when I express love or I express, you know, anger or I do a sad or a sad face, whatever, that stuff is already encapsulated in speech. And we, you know, emojis are sort of created to fill a deficiency in texting that exists um, because there is less meaning. This Week in Voice is sponsored by Voice XP a company based out of Missouri that's known for producing the highest quality Alexa skills and the highest quality voice applications around. If you are working for a big brand, uh, a big company, Fortune 500 entity, all the way down to a small or medium-sized organization, or even a startup, or maybe you're a solo entrepreneur, VoiceXP is the company that you should seek out for guidance in how to navigate the waters of voice applications. They're amazing folks. They've been fantastic partners with Voice First FM, fantastic partners of This Week in Voice, and I can't recommend them enough. Reach out to Bob Stolzberg, who works for Voice XP. He will help you, and you'll be really glad that you did. Moving on to story number five, Tel Aviv-based Audio Burst launched a new search engine for audio news. This is an interesting one. John, what do you think about this search engine for audio? In some ways, I feel like Echo, I'm sorry, um, Alexa and Google Assistant and you know Cortana are, are in a way the browsers of the VUI days, right? Um, where it's, it's kind of the place where you do your searching and get information that is connect, you know, uh, connected by web services. And what this is proposing is that there's a, a way to do that across the services, right? And to reach out and get in information that's on the web already outside of what's in the voice services. So it could 
be a way to sort of break down some walls there. Um, how that's going to come about is really, really tough to tell based on, you know, the article and what we've seen from Audio Burst. But um, I think it's a really, it's like a, a noble idea it's a, it's because I think that we will um, be able to accomplish a lot more when we can stretch across the entire internet with our voice. Sure. Well, and it's interesting just to think about it from the from a podcast standpoint. I was thinking about this the other day that, uh, you know, podcasting uh, is getting more and more popular. And yet the content that is generated by this movement of content creators, uh, it's not searchable at all unless uh, you've got transcriptions uh, that are good, that are produced, and then made available on the web. So you don't want to lose. You, you've got to be able to parse that content just like everything else, um, especially if we're moving into this voice-first era. So, yeah, I, I find it fascinating, too. Ahmed, your thoughts? I just love what uh, John said as, as far as um, piggybacking on the concept of um, browsers. Um, so it's absolutely, I think, the, the right concept to frame Alexa and Cortana and Google Assistant as browsers. They are browsing, basically they are platforms where people can serve experiences and it happens to be that the markup language is still not, we're not there yet in terms of one standard markup language, but I think we may get there at some point. Maybe they will have markup language that will be running on all three platforms and people will build them using tools. And I think the, 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 the idea of a search engine um, across all these platforms that focuses on the content, not on the delivery mechanisms. I'm quite sure they're thinking about this very carefully, but, but, um, but yeah, you're right that that um, sometimes it takes a startup that's nimble and can move quickly and deploy resources faster to get things done to to kind of break new ground, and and um, and, and I think you're right. Sort of the nature is that 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 will either be absorbed, yeah. copied, or, or, you know, bought uh, in one way or another. But um, I, I think it's interesting to see that it's happening already. I, I really didn't expect to see something quite like this. Um, and, and who knows how far actually along it is. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm just I'm kind of pleased and tickled to see that, that mm -hmm. there's already some movement that direction. I tried it out um, wow. a couple hours ago. It is definitely something I'm going to use, and which is not something that um, I say. About any skill. Wow, that's you know, um, pretty strong endorsement. Yeah, I'm gonna. You should you should try mm -hmm. it out. I said I said um, you know news about Kenya because there was elections in, in Kenya, so I got uh, I got five stories and listened to them and they were spot on. And then, then I said uh, Rachel Maddow and and I got like five uh, returns from these uh, blowhard right wingers, uh, you know, raining uh, <laughs> hellfire on Rachel Maddow, which was interesting because the first ones were the topic. This one where she was mentioned inside. So they're what they're doing actually is they're transcribing all these and indexing them, and then not only if if the person who is speaking is an Rush Limbaugh or Rush Limbaugh or Mishmal is mentioned, or the topic is Kenya or Venezuela is another one I asked for and I asked for a few more and they all came up and they were all uh, things that were an hour ago, right? So I'll definitely use this thing uh, for sure. Um, so uh, so I think what they have is real. I think that this is just the beginning of uh, something amazing. Uh, I guarantee you they will... Uh, by the way, Google has been doing some of this uh, audio mining. They've called, they call it audio mining, right, for a long, long time. But because they're sluggish and, they're, and they, they have no focus, more or less, uh, aside from their business, main business, which is creating, you know, churning money through their AdWords stuff, right? Everything else, like the Google Glass, it's just disoriented, right? Um, they, if they want success, I think they, 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 they need to buy these guys or somebody like them um, pretty soon. Because uh, they're for sure, 
for sure, there's a huge business uh, in, in uh, you know, audio search. Sure. By the way, uh, today, tomorrow, sometime in the very near future, uh, the podcast will be searchable and available through awesome. Audioverse. Excellent. Which is cool. Yeah, I've been talking to those guys and uh, got them the feeds and everything. Damn. So uh, happy to be working try, with them. I'm going to try to find, uh, find programs um, that mention Lisa Paul. <laughs> well, hey, yeah, then uh, this is going to make it uh, just a little bit oh, easier to do good, that. Good, good. There you go. <laughs> We will move on to the final story of the week, which is Kim Commando provided a list this week of how Alexa can be deployed in the kitchen. And this is newsworthy in my mind for the simple reason of when I think of people who are subscribed to the Kim Commando email list, uh, my my mother is, um, and several other people I know are, and uh, I wouldn't ca- mm-hmm. categorize them as early adopters. Um, or of technology. In many cases, they're not late adopters either. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I look at the landscape of voice and uh, every time you turn around, you're seeing something else happening that indicates that this is here to stay. This has penetrated so deep into society and culture that this is here to stay um, and it just sort of validates the premise that there's no turning back. And Lisa, I'll start with you. Uh, do you feel that way? I love this um, description because there are some things. So first of all, 51%, and I read this stat a while ago, and hopefully I'm, I'm still accurate, but 51% of people have their echo in the kitchen. Um, and then hmm. from there it goes to bathroom, um, home office, and so on. The bedroom, I think, is the least. Um so, so if you look at the the things that, you know, I had no idea, for example, that there were 400 skills in food and drink category alone. Now, this makes me want to go to my kitchen and mess around with it. But the great thing is, uh, you know, not just the integration with certain devices, which I knew, like uh, a coffee brewer, um, obviously the lights in your kitchen, things like that. But re- and and I've always used it for timers. You know, you want to have multiple timers set. Um, you know, you don't want to use like your oven, your microwave. You know, your hands are all dirty. But but just the the depth like to to which people have used like thought about. Okay, I'm standing in the kitchen. What do I need other than timers and like measurement converters? Like for, for example, the counting calories is just um, terrific. The, um, you know, how many calories in salmon or this four ounces of salmon or whatever, um, converting measurements I've used before, um, asking a bartender how to make a certain drink to me, that sounds like amazing. Um, and you know, we know shopping lists, we know timers, but then the one that I think is really, um, appeals to sort of my altruistic side is this, um, stop wasting foods because the save the food scale and it's like what how do we store this vegetable or how do we um you know so, so that you're not spoiling your food by storing it the wrong way so I just I think that one it's um you know it's a nice list just to have but it does show that if we, there are so many things um that you can do sort of in an everyday basis right I I'm sure that there are people who really just think of 
Alexa as the media device. You're just like, you know what? I listen to music and maybe ask some, you know, FAQs, like, you know, how tall is the Eiffel Tower or when my kid asks me for their school paper or whatever. But to see that there is sort of this depth um, uh, of just, you know, food and drink type uh, skills, it's it's really nice. And I, um, again, because I have this in the kitchen, it sort of makes me want to like go and look up other things I can I can use Alexa for in the kitchen. And, and I think the fact that it's in Kim, uh, what do you say, Commando? Commando? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's, like you said, she's not early adopter. She's not a late adopter. She's very mass market. And, um, I think just sort of having Alexa, kind of like the Alec Baldwin commercials, you know, anytime that it's becomes something that's very, people relate to someone very mainstream. Um, I think that's a positive thing and that shows, you know, market, um, penetration and, and just sort of that it's become a common thing. If it were something that no one had ever heard of, then, you know, Kim Commander would not be talking about it at all. She goes, then she'd have to introduce the technology and what it was about. Instead, she's assuming that people understand and she's just talking about application. When Earplay got going in 2013, we were just like on this mobile device and just a way to like play a story with your voice. But we saw that people were using it and we went and asked in, in surveys, like where and how are you doing this? And we, we were kind of shocked just how many people said that they used it while they were cooking. And, and then we started thinking about this and thinking about when you listen to podcasts and that sort of thing. But it's interesting that it, it is a place where you can fill up the time. Um, and and it, I just thought that was really fascinating when I read this article. I'm like, yes, that's, that is, it's foreshadowing something that is coming, where, which is the entertainment. The, the kitchen can be a place to accomplish things with your voice, but also uh, a place to, you know, sort of have uh, some multitasking entertainment. You can listen to your podcast. You can listen to other things while you're doing um, what you're, you're trying to set out to accomplish in the kitchen. Drives home the point that um, the reason why voice is compelling is because it allows you to do things, eyes free, hands free, and the place where your eyes are busy and hands are busy and it's dangerous not to pay attention and so forth is the kitchen. And so uh, and that's why that's that's why voice uh, voice is the most compelling. Um, plus compelling a little bit somewhere else in the in the house because the situation where your eyes are busy and hands busy is not as as enhanced uh, as in the kitchen, um, but just drives the for me to drive the point across home that it's about eyes free and hands free interactions. Sure, and uh, the only thing I would add is that it's interesting to think that I've seen now two scenarios in which Echo devices have started in one location in a home and then moved around a little bit, and then the moment they reach the kitchen, they stay there and they never move. When my parents bought the original Echo, uh, they were the first people I knew that had one, and uh, they had it a couple different places uh, in the home, and then it hit the kitchen, and boy, that thing never moved. It's been there ever since. And then in my own house, uh, I bought the Echo Show just for uh, you know my own purposes and had it in my office, and then I brought it up, upstairs uh, to the kitchen. And uh, did uh, the drop-in calling thing in there. I needed to move it to the kitchen for that one day. And uh, it also has never moved. Uh, My (laughs) wife just told me the other day she loves having that thing in there so she can read the news. Speaking to the point of multitasking, Mm -hmm. she can read the news that flashes up there uh, while she's uh, getting ready for work in the morning and and so on and so forth. So it's very uh, interesting. The kitchen um, uh, is calling out for this type of device. And uh, you're right. I think... uh, This is foreshadowing a lot of what's to come. 
greatly appreciate the three of you setting your time aside and sharing uh, not just your time, but your, your expertise and your insights with us. And for This Week in Voice, Episode 6, August the 10th, 2017, thank you for listening, and until next time.